This is the Everything EV Podcast by EV Powered. Hello, I'm Charlie Atkinson and you're listening to another episode of the Everything EV Podcast, the podcast dedicated to everything electric. In these episodes, we'll be discussing everything to do with electric travel, so whether it be cars, bikes, boats or even planes, we'll have it covered. We'll also be speaking to people from within the industry to get their views on the EV space, as well as other features such as electric car reviews, electric motorsport coverage, and much, much more along the way. This podcast is available on all streaming platforms, so be sure to subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts from to receive every episode as soon as it's released. And please do go back and check out all our other episodes too. Following on from the end of Season 7 of Formula E, we're joined today by Alan McNish, the team principal of Audi Sport's Formula E team. The final weekend in Berlin marked the end of Audi's journey in Formula E as the series said goodbye to one of its most successful manufacturers in its history. The team signed off from the series with a win thanks to Lucas Degrassi's effort on the Saturday and now Alan is with us today to talk about this season and Audi's journey in the championship as a whole. Alan, great to be speaking with you today. If we could just start with the weekend just gone, obviously Lucas got his win on the Saturday and was in a decent position to bring home the championship. Obviously, it didn't go that way in the end, but how do you reflect on the weekend now that you've had a few days to dissect everything? Well, I think we obviously have been the final weekend for Audi as a factory team in Formula E. It had a certain sense of focus, intensity, but it was also... A bittersweet one, sweet because we won a race in our final weekend, our swan song, but bitter that we also are walking out of the paddock because it's been a paddock that I think uh, we've enjoyed a lot. Technically, we've developed our e-tron motors there and also as a team, we've grown a lot in the last few years. If I take the actual Berlin race weekend as a whole, it's very difficult to string two days together consecutively just purely and simply because you bounce in and out the qualifying groups and the groups very much determine your position on the grid as opposed to your performance in the group as such, if you take an overall. And uh, Lucas obviously won on uh, Saturday, got into Super Bowl, delivered a brilliant race, and uh, that meant that he was in Group 1 for Sunday, which meant that uh, he qualified 17th, which I thought was a very, very good lap. And uh, ultimately, it was 0.126 of a second. So just over a tenth of a second slower than Evans. Evans ultimately qualified third and Lucas 17th on the grid with uh, main title contenders in and around as well. And that's where I say it's difficult to string good Saturdays and Sundays together because of this situation. Therefore, on Sunday, we were in the game, no question. We're eight points behind in the drivers and nine points behind in the teams as we went into the Sunday race. But we were very much in the back foot. And so we did roll the dice a little bit. Lucas had a very aggressive uh, race strategy to come through. And uh, Rennie, we played on the other card with a strategy trying to save energy at the beginning to the point where he started from the pit lane to save that little bit more. And uh, then with safety car potential, then we'd come through from there. Ultimately, he came through to ninth, got another fastest lap, but Lucas, unfortunately, had a collision with the Costa and had a drive-through, which basically was the end of our championship fight. But I don't think we can leave it there, very honestly, Charlie. You know, when you say, now, how do you feel? And I look back at our time in Formula E as a whole, not specifically over one race, but actually over a period of time. And 
ultimately were the most successful team over a period of time. We've scored more points than any other team. We scored more points in a season than any other manufacturer. We beat Mercedes to that this year uh, with us and our customer team and them and their customer team. We also, uh, Lucas has got uh, more points than any other driver. We've had more fastest laps than any other team as a whole. We've won team's titles and we've won driver's titles. And so we actually walk out of Berlin with our heads very much held high and very proud of what we've achieved over the time. And to be able to take a race win in your last weekend, there is only one time it's your last weekend, but to be able to take a race victory in your last weekend, uh, I think is something that we should be very proud of. Yeah, you mentioned Lucas and Rene there, and I just wanted to touch on them as characters, really, because they do have really big personalities within the championship. And so I just wanted to get your thoughts on what it's been like to work with them for so long. They're very different characters. And, uh, you know, I've known both of them for a long period of time. Lucas actually uh, was my teammate when we did a couple of races together in the Lamal program before I retired, and he then took over my seat. And uh, Rennie's been involved in Audi in different programs, including the Lamal program, for quite a while. But they are, as you say, very different characters, but they complement each other pretty well. Uh, Lucas is quite emotional at times, very driven, very determined, um, very out there. I mean, he does like a little bit of lateral thinking, uh, whereas Rennie is much more calm, I would say, very much data-driven, very much process-driven. And uh, between the two of them, they actually drove each other on this year. They lifted each other's game. Uh, I think Rennie coming into the team meant that uh, Lucas had to react to that which he did, and vice versa, Rennie learned a lot from Lucas as well, because Formula E is actually a little mix of the two. You do have to have a process. You do have to do a lot of preparation. You do have to do a lot of uh, understanding with your engineer in advance what you're going to do, but it's not the only thing, because all of that simulator time in advance, all of that preparation when you get into it, when you get into that Super Bowl situation or qualifying groups, the car is very different to what it's been before. So you kind of have to just let it hang out there. And so I think between the two of them, they did work very well and complemented each other perfectly. Yeah, absolutely. And now you spoke earlier about how unprecedented this season has been with the 18 drivers, but we're all mathematically able to win the championship heading into the final weekend. How difficult has it been as team principal to navigate a season like that where, like you said, there's only tenths of a second between third and 17th place and for it to be like that for the majority of the season, really? It's very difficult to manage the expectations as much as anything else because when you're in a situation where you go into the final race weekend and you've got you know, both drivers in the championship fight and also the team as well, then uh, you know, the, there is a naturally an expectation of deliverance. But the reality is it's very, very competitive. I've never been in a championship that had so many different teams and brands and so many top-level drivers that were capable of winning in the final weekend. And we knew it would come down to being on the right position at the right time on the circuit. But at the same time, would you throw away a victory on Saturday to try to finish second so you could be in Group 2 for Sunday? There's no way. You've got to just take whatever comes your way. And in that respect, yes, it's, uh, it is difficult to manage. It's also difficult to manage the driver 
feel, focus, emotion, frustration to some extent as well, and also the team. Because, you know, when you deliver what you think is pretty much a perfect job and you're on average through the course of this year, the average of Group 1 was 16th on the grid. And so when you, you've got to sort of manage those points where you're doing your best you can do and you know that you should be at the front, but the reality is you've got to fight for maybe one or two points and not for a race victory as you maybe thought you could have done. But that's part of the process. It's part of Fon Lee. We know the regulations. We knew the circumstances going into the season. And it's something that we obviously worked to try to maximise. Um, and it did function and work on some occasions, but uh, ultimately not on the Sunday that we wanted in the final race. Yeah, I think it's interesting how you do get these weird situations with qualifying because I know Nick De Vries spoke after getting his podium in London and he was a bit disappointed with that because it meant he was going to be in a tougher group for qualifying in Berlin. With that in mind, do you think there needs to be any sort of changes to the format of Formula E or would you keep it how it is now? I think the, you know, the, there's two points to that. One is that the championship's always evolving. And so therefore it's not as if it's static for five, seven years. Every year uh, in the sporting working group, which I'm a representative of the manufacturers in the Formula E sporting working group, we do discuss scenarios and we do discuss uh, maybe optimization of different regulations and one of them is a qualifying group status and we have changed it before it was done by lottery in the past mm -hmm. and uh, we decided that it was better for the end of the season for it to be a case that all the championship contenders were in one group as opposed to necessarily just one could be in the first group one could be in the fourth group i think there will be a change for season eight i think this year they've probably feel that it is a little bit too random and uh, maybe it isn't quite uh, the sporting equality that maybe it should be. I don't believe it should be completely transferred to the fastest at the front and uh, as it is, say, for example, the Formula 1 because that doesn't produce good races. And the one thing we've had is some very, very good races. The Saturday race was brilliant. The overtaking... Lucas uh, coming from third, Rennie Ras coming from, I think, ninth or tenth when he got his attack mode and then slicing through to fighting for the lead of the race within four laps was just, it was incredible to watch. And so therefore it maybe does need tweaking as opposed to a complete overhaul of the system. Yeah, when you mention Formula One there, obviously Formula E naturally draws comparisons to F1. But as you said, we have had these really exciting races in Formula E this season. So surely that setup for the final weekend is the perfect advert for the sport, especially, as we've mentioned, with all the different drivers being in with a shout, whereas in Formula One, it's either Lewis or Max at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, I think, um, you know, you can look at many, many ways. I don't think the two are compatible, just like I don't think Lamar, where I am today, is compatible with anything else either. They sit in their own area within the motorsport spectrum. And uh, Formula E is very much a DNA. It is fully electric. It is city centre racing. It's a one-day format. And it's real cut and thrust over one single day. Um, whereas Formula One is very traditional. It goes to some fantastic venues. It's about the fastest speeds. And uh, it always naturally narrows down to, you know, two drivers fighting out the title. And so I think there is a point where... As I said, things need tweaking as opposed to overhaul, but I don't think they should be compared because they're not comparable. They're just very different motorsport to a different audience with different 
interest from the manufacturers and the teams. And uh, to be honest with you, I'm all for widening the interest of motorsport to the fan and bringing new fans in, whether it be kids, whether it be families, whatever it is. For me, that's a very important thing. And so I definitely am strongly behind that, whether it is Formula One, Formula E or anything else. That's one thing I have noticed this season. There seems to be more and more eyes on the sport. And I was actually in the grandstand in Berlin at the weekend and I spoke to lots of different people who have only just discovered Formula E and they were really, really enjoying it. So obviously you've been involved with Formula E for a number of years now. How have you seen the sport develop from when you first joined to today when you're walking away from it? Well, first things first, it was absolutely stunning to hear fans in the grandstands again. And it was such a contrast to Berlin 12 months ago where there was no grandstands at all. And I looked across and there was one security officer on the other side where normally there'd be thousands and thousands of fans. So it was great to hear the noise. It was great when they were stamping the feet and everything else. And that gives an element of passion and drive to all of the teams. In fact, so we need the fans. I think the... Uh, the, the situation there is that the, the championships evolved. It's become significantly more competitive. Uh, you cannot have an off day any longer on track. All of these are on track moments. But as well, we have, we're evolving into new markets and new countries as well. And so normally this season, we would have been into South Korea and we would have gone to Jakarta as well. Uh, we'd have gone back to China. We'd are looking, I think in season eight, they're moving to Canada for example. So they're going to new markets. And I think that's a very important thing to, to sort of develop the championship and going to new places as opposed to necessarily traditionally just going back to the same places that they were at before. So overall as the championship, I think it reached a high water point clearly with everybody involved. That's going to change a little bit for season eight, but that's not to say that it's on the downward slope. I think it's just got, um, it, He's got a sort of rebalancing before it sort of moves forward for the next next stage from there. Okay, perfect. And now I just wanted to touch on the news that's come out recently with Mercedes announcing their plans to walk away from the series at the end of next year. Obviously, Audi is leaving, BMW is stepping away from Andretti, and now there's Mercedes as well. Do you see that as a problem for Formula E that these manufacturers are all stepping away, or will Formula E continue to grow even without them? It certainly not from an outward point of view a good sign having three German manufacturers out of four leaving pretty much all at the same time. However, the championship will pivot. I remember when Audi was the first German manufacturer to join and then three followed very, very quickly. And so therefore the championship was surviving. It was developing very, very well before that. And it will continue to survive. It'll just have to adapt and it will sort of realign to be a more team-based point to be more of a team-based uh, situation than necessarily the big OEMs. However, there's a lot of OEMs that are still in the paddock and a lot of manufacturers as well. So, you know, as I said, I think overall the championship will evolve. Um, but, you know, it, it was, as I said, a high point to have so many big players in the one game. That phrase, high point, is actually the perfect link into my next question. Just looking back over your time in Formula E, what have been some of the highlights for you and what have been the lowest points out of the whole journey? High point definitely was uh, walking into the paddock in Hong Kong for the first race as an official manufacturer. High point was uh, winning in Mexico 
uh, with Daniel. High point, Berlin, one, two, pole position, fastest laps, all lap, laps led. That was the only time in the history when that has happened, a clean sweep. High Point was winning uh, in Puebla this year with another 1-2. High Point was winning in Berlin in our final race weekend. Low points were two key ones. Daniel's first on-track victory in our first weekend in Hong Kong, getting taken away from him because one number on a barcode was wrong. And that was a dreadful thing for me to have to phone him and tell him that uh, what he did on this Sunday, the 25 points on his 25th victory were not going to be his and they were going to be taken away. That was a I have to say, a horrible telephone call. But, you know, strength of character, he was our first winner in Mexico just a few races later. And uh, then Low Point actually was, uh, you know, shaking hands with all of the team on Sunday night, knowing that uh, this was the end of an era. But all things change. And I've been in motorsport a long time, and it's like a chapter in a book. The book still continues. There's still more chapters in it, but just our chapter in Formula E, it's changed the page on Sunday. And now that next chapter for Audi is the Dakar Rally and there's Le Mans as well. Just to finish, how exciting is this new era for Audi? Well, that's a huge challenge. You know, there's a two-pronged next step for Audi. One is Dakar and one is returning to the Le Mans 24 hours in uh, the hypercar class. And uh, certainly with Dakar, that's going to be technically a massive challenge having uh, an all-electric drive car to do the Dakar, to do an event that's over several weeks in the middle of the desert. It's in such difficult conditions with 600-kilometer stages, uh, trying to achieve that with uh, three electric motors that, I have to say, were developed in Formula E with a full concept with an energy converter as well on there. That is going to be, for the engineering side, the Vorsprungdorf technique, the real... I would say thumbprint DNA of what Audi is all about. No questions. They love a challenge. They love a huge technical challenge and they love a challenge that they can get stuck into. And this is one of them. It just adds to the stories that uh, Audi's embarked on in the past. And uh, that's one that I'm excited to watch and also excited to see the development of our return to Le Mans 24 hours where I obviously have got a lot of history personally and looking forward to 2023 for that particular program. That's all for this episode and a big thank you to Alan for coming on to the podcast today and thank you to everyone at Audi too. For more podcasts like this, check out all our other episodes and be sure to subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts from to make sure you get every episode as soon as it's released. For daily news coverage, features and much more, you can also head over to evpowered.co.uk. Thanks once again for listening and we'll see you on the next episode of the Everything EV podcast.